How are we doing today? Everyone is well? They're all well? Good. Glad to hear that. I'm well. Thank you for asking. Hey, a lot of celebrating to do today, huh? Lots of celebrating. Yeah. Anybody celebrating? Wow. Okay. Because you guys know it's International Being You Day. Yeah, I'm not sure who you are the rest of the year, but today you're supposed to be you. If you are a musician, uh, you could observe National Buy a Musical Instrument Day. If you have some extra cash, go ahead and go out and buy a musical instrument. Or you could just stay home and enjoy National Solitaire Day. Play a couple of hands of solitaire. Sounds a little boring to me. But, but you can cap it all off by celebrating National Vanilla Pudding Day. It's a big one on my calendar. You have some jello pudding tonight. No, it doesn't have to be jello pudding, but vanilla. But you guys know that I like to kind of share little bits and pieces of my life from the past. And it was a number of years ago, and this was when my three kids were quite small, I traveled quite a bit for my job. I was gone pretty much every week. I'd leave usually Tuesday morning, come back Thursday night, maybe longer. But I got in the habit of bringing my kids some small little trinket when I returned home. It was never anything really expensive or elaborate. It was usually just a little keychain, you know, or maybe a, a stuffed animal or something like that. Something that I very often happened to buy at the airport before I got on my flight to come home. But honestly, the kids were excited to get just about anything, regardless of the value. But you know, I learned a very, very important lesson very early on. All three trinkets had to be exactly the same. Because if I came back with three different things, there was going to be a problem. If I came back with three of the same things but different colors, there was going to be a problem. It didn't matter how I divvied them up or, or which child I gave first choice. Something was going to be wrong. There was going to be some kind of displeasure. This child wanted that stuffed animal. This child wanted that color. Unless all three items were identical, I would hear someone say, Dad, that's not fair. Absolutely, that's not fair. And I'll be honest, that is not something that ended with that practice of bringing those little trinkets home. I heard that a lot as my children grew up. But listen, it's so typical for children, right? Isn't it? I mean, has anyone here ever been a child? Okay, or have you ever been around a child? Then you know that this is very typical. Kids say that things aren't fair. But are kids the only ones? I mean, as adults, do we ever make those claims, you know, that's not fair? Maybe we don't express it in quite the same way as children do. Or maybe we do, you know, yeah, it's not fair. I mean, I've seen adults act like kids. But the truth is, we all still struggle with this idea of what is fair. 
And man, do we hear that word a lot these days? We do, yeah. We hear it in schools. We hear it in business. We hear it in politics, right? This clash of ideologies, all this talk of fairness. So who is supposed to decide what's fair? I mean, can we as individuals decide what's fair? I mean, look, if you leave it up to a child, they're going to make their decision based on what they want, right? Or what they desire. Is that going to change much for adults? Probably not. I mean, people like to think that they have no personal biases, but can we honestly say in all circumstances that we can decide what is truly fair? All you have to do is look around at the world today and you will know humans are not capable of defining fairness without some sort of selfishness creeping in. Talked about this a little bit last week, right? We are by nature selfish beings. And friends, when you look at the world, the world is inherently unfair. But as Christians, we believe that ultimately God is in control, right? He is the creator and the sustainer of everything in the cosmos. So really, this kind of begs the question then, is God fair? Well, today we're going to continue in our study of the book of Habakkuk. And we're going to be addressing that very question today. Is God fair? Now, last week, we learned that this, this very short book, this minor prophet... And it's minor because it really isn't that important, right? Come on, stay with me. Say no. No. It's minor just because it's short. It's just three little chapters. But it's found near the end of the Old Testament. And we learned that this is actually a prophecy in the form of a conversation that Habakkuk had with God. And in that conversation, Habakkuk... Habakkuk... Boy, that's a tough one. Habakkuk expresses... Two main complaints, or two laments, if you will. Now, we addressed the first lament last week in the form of the question, does God care? Does God care? Remember, Habakkuk looked around at his world and he saw the injustice and the, and the wrongdoing and the sin within the nation of Judah. And he prayed, right? He cried out to God, God, you care about what's happening. Much the same as we might be doing today. Asking that question, God, do you care? And if you were with us last week, you know that God did answer Habakkuk. Right? And he told him, not only do I care, but I'm already at work. He said, look at the nations and see what I'm going to do. Something you never thought could happen. He said, yes, I am going to judge the sin and injustice within the nation of Judah, absolutely. And I'm going to use the nation of Babylon to do it. This pagan nation was going to be God's agent of justice for the nation of Judah. And, of course, this, this judgment, this destruction was 
because Judah had turned from God, right? They had turned from their righteous, from God's righteous law. And they were living their lives any way that they wanted to. But see, God was going to answer Habakkuk's prayer. God did care. And he was going to answer that prayer. But he was going to do it in his way and in his time. And remember, that's exactly what God promises us, right? He promises us to hear our prayers. He promises that he will answer our prayers according to his timing and according to his will. God does care. But you know, as Habakkuk is processing this answer to his question, do you care, God? He had another question for God. Because, you know, using this, this, this pagan nation uh, of Babylon to, to, to bring judgment on Judah, that didn't make sense. It didn't seem fair. So is God fair? Well, let's answer that question, and we're going to use it, we're going to answer it using our biblical worldview. We're going to look through the lens of Scripture to answer that question. And of course, we're going to look at the book of Habakkuk. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk now, you guys know where it's at, right? Fifth from the end. You guys are going to be experts at finding this book. We're going to start at chapter 1, verse 12, and we're going to go through uh, chapter 2, verse 5. So, reading from the book of Habakkuk, starting at verse 12, Habakkuk says this, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. And this is really interesting here because Habakkuk is expressing very, very solid theology with regard to God. He's acknowledging God as the one true and eternal God. Now, if you have your Bibles open, I want you to look at the word Lord here. And what you'll notice is that Lord is in all capitals. Anybody know, remember what that signifies? Anybody? Yahweh, absolutely. It is a representation of the sacred Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, or I am. So Habakkuk, by using this name, He's, he's, he's showing that he understands the eternality of God. God has no beginning. God has no end. God exists outside of the realm of time. This is something that we learned when we looked at the attributes of God. God is eternal. And then Habakkuk in the New International Version says, you will never die. I point that out because most translations treat that phrase a little bit differently and quite honestly, the phrase is actually better translated, we shall never die, in reference to the nation of Judah, the nation of Israel. And what that tells us is that Habakkuk and the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel placed their trust in God for their future. Their future was grounded in the eternal nature of God. So what we understand from this is that Habakkuk knows God. He has a very solid theology. But God had just told him something that he doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. The nation of Babylon used to judge Judah? That doesn't make sense. 
But, but, at the end of verse 12, Habakkuk says, You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. So again, we see that Habakkuk is placing his trust in God. He expresses that trust and the understanding that, yes, okay, Babylon will be the agent that God chooses to use to judge the injustice and the sin within the nation of Judah. But it makes him stop and think. And it makes him ask a question. And it's much, much like this question we might be asking today. Verse 13, it says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So again, in these two sentences here, we see that Habakkuk shows a correct theology of God, this time with regard to his holiness. And and because God is perfectly holy, we know that to be true. Because of that, he is separated from sin. He is set apart. That's what the word holy means. It means set apart. God is separated from the sin and injustice of the world. So he understands God's holiness. But he asks the question, and this really is the question for the ages. Really what he's asking is, how can you allow sin and evil to continue? To allow it to go on seemingly unchecked? It's a great question, isn't it? See, Habakkuk looked at his situation and wondered, how can God use this incredibly sinful, evil nation of Babylon to judge his people, even though they were sinners? See, if you you think back to what we talked about last week, the first thing that Habakkuk was troubled by was the sin and injustice within the nation of Judah. And God answered him by telling him, yeah, you know what, judgment's on the way. But now Habakkuk has a problem with the way that God would set things right. Again, he was going to use a more wicked nation to bring that justice that Habakkuk had prayed for. It didn't seem right. Didn't seem fair. I want you to think about it like this, though. What if we, and, and, and I hope that we do, but what if we prayed for the church in this country and we cried out to God, God, repentance. May we turn back to God because we've seen the church in a lot of instances, turn away from God, exchanging the truth for lies. Do we see that? Absolutely. So we pray to God. We cry out to God. God, bring judgment. What if God sent an invading army? Whoa, 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 wait, 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 God. No, 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 no. The cure cannot be worse than the disease. That wouldn't seem right. That wouldn't be fair. But friends, 
When we face crises, it is crises that truly test our faith and belief in God. You know, how do we react to tribulation? You know, do we, like most people, kind of pull back from fellowship, pull back from the church, maybe turn our back completely on God? Is that how we handle it? Or do we learn from Habakkuk? And do we turn to God and talk to Him and cry out to Him and ask Him those difficult questions and then trust Him? See, as we read on, we really begin to understand more of Habakkuk's frustration. Verses 14 and following, he says, You have made people like the fish in the sea. The sea, uh, like the sea creatures, they have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? God, is this fair? See, part of Habakkuk's complaint here is that God allows his people to be treated, well, he says, like fish. And, and fish don't have any rulers. They don't have any leaders. So they're easy prey for the fishermen. And obviously the fishermen here is the nation of Babylon. And it seems like this, this evil nation is allowed to glory in their victories over those less evil than themselves. The question is, how long will God let this go on? Is God fair? And friends, when we look at the sin and injustice in the world today, you know, do you find yourself asking that very same question? You look at it and you say, this doesn't seem right. Is God fair? Let's keep going because there is a lot that we can learn from our friend Habakkuk here. At the beginning of chapter 2, Habakkuk says this. He says, I will stand at my watch and and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And really what we see here, friends, is an absolutely spectacular example for us to follow. Yes, Habakkuk has questions. And he doesn't hesitate to ask them of God. But then, then, he says, I will stand my watch. In other words, I will wait on the Lord. Like a sentry stands a post on a wall expecting the enemy to come. See, Habakkuk expected an answer from God, and he was willing to wait for it. Is that the way that we approach our prayers and petitions? Do we wait expectantly? Do we wait patiently? See, I think very often we don't necessarily ask God. We kind of demand from God. We demand answers. And, and, and we want them right away. We don't want to wait. 
or at the very least, answer according to our schedule. But what we see here from Habakkuk is a model of the appropriate attitude when petitioning God. And it's very interesting that other translators really treat the end of verse 1 much, much differently. I'm going to read from the New King James Version here. It says at the end of verse 1, Habakkuk will watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. See, not only did Habakkuk expect an answer, but he expected God to correct him. And really what Habakkuk is saying in these verses is, look, I know you're God. I understand who you are. I know you're always right. I don't understand what you're doing, so teach me. Correct me. Correct my thinking. See, Habakkuk asked questions, but not because he thought God was wrong. No, Habakkuk wanted to be corrected so that he could understand. His trust was in the sovereignty of God. Is that how we approach God with our requests? I pray that it would be. And, and, and if it isn't, friends, this is something that we need to learn. We need to learn to bring our requests to God and then to stand watch and wait. And wait expectantly. Not for what we want, but for what's right. Then in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2, we see the beginning of God's answer. There we read, Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not Delay. So there's a couple things we want to pull out of that. The first thing is this. God says, write this down. This word was not just for Habakkuk. It was meant to be written down. It was meant to be preserved. It was meant to be shared with others to strengthen and guide them. Friends, it was meant for us today. This this little minor prophet, these three small chapters written 2,600 years ago are still relevant today. They can still speak to us today. Isn't God's word amazing? It's absolutely, it's absolutely amazing. The other thing we see here is that this prophecy was for an appointed time. Friends, it all happens according to God's schedule. Now, as far as we're concerned, the answers typically come much more slowly than we want or than we expect. But it seems slow because of our limited perspective, right? We talked about this a little bit last week. We don't see the world the way God does. But it happens in His timing. 
And remember, his timing is always perfect. Our job, our job, is to wait for it. And to have faith that the answer will come according to his will. Then in verse 4 and 5, God says this. He says, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. And what God is saying here is, is don't think for a minute that I don't see the evil within the nation of Babylon. God says, I see it. I see the pride. I see the evil desires. I see the greed and the avarice. I see the drunkenness. I see their evil desires and that they're never satisfied and they continue to plunder and take captives. And just because God uses Babylon as the instrument of his justice, this does not let Babylon off the hook. No, 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 no. They are responsible for their sin. They will have to answer to God according to his timing. It may seem for a time that God is not fair, but Babylon will be judged as well. And friends, make no mistake, the same is true for the sin and injustice that we see in the world today. A day is coming when God will make it all right. But I want to take, I want to take a moment here and, and turn our focus toward this little phrase that's, that's wedged right into the middle of this description of, of the evilness of Babylon. And it is one of the most important phrases in the entire Bible. At the end of verse 4, it says, The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And this is juxtaposed against the evil of Babylon. Babylon was selfish, very, very proud, right? Very, very proud. Pride always looks within, looks to self. The righteous person looks to God. And what this really does is it holds a mirror up to what Habakkuk said in verse 12 of chapter 1. And I'm going to read from the English Standard Version here because this is a more accurate translation. It says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? That's that theology statement that he makes. He goes on to say, We shall not die. So, why could Habakkuk say of himself and the nation of Judah, why could he say, we shall not die? Was it because they were really good? No, we know that's not right. They were no better than anyone else. Was it because they made all the right sacrifices, did all the right things, said all the right things? No, that's not it either. It was their faith in God. Their faith in God. In God. And friends, this is the bedrock 
for the teaching of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. We see this verse quoted a number of times in the New Testament. One of my favorite verses in Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Bottom line, friends, it is not about how good you are. No, it is not about your righteousness. What does Romans 3.10 tell us? There is no one righteous, not one. So if you're counting on your goodness and you're counting on your righteousness to save you, you're counting on being good to get into heaven, friends, you are out of luck. Our only hope, friends, is faith. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. When you stop and think about it, you might say, well, wait a minute, what about Habakkuk? What about the people of the Old Testament? How were they saved? Friends, they were saved the very same way. They were, by faith in God, by faith in His plan of redemption, by faith in the coming Messiah. Just because Jesus hadn't come yet didn't mean that faith in Him would not save them. In fact, it did. Friends, our only hope in this life is in the righteousness of Christ given to us through the cross. So how can we apply this to our lives today? What can we learn from Habakkuk? It's a couple of things that I want us to go home with today. First, what we see is that Habakkuk, he had a solid understanding of who God is, right? He knew God. He acknowledged Yahweh as the eternal creator and sustainer of the cosmos. He knew that God is perfectly holy. He knew that God would not tolerate sin. He knew that God was set apart from evil and sin. Habakkuk trusted in the nature of God. He knew God. Can we do that today? Can we know God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Friends, God has chosen to reveal himself in a number of ways, not the least of which is through this book that we study each week. Right? I mean, we should be, we should be reading this. We should be devouring this. This is where we get our worldview, right? We are developing a biblical worldview. We are seeing the world through the lens of Scripture. Get to know God. And when you know God, when you understand His nature and who He is and how great He is, you will trust Him just like Habakkuk did. 
no God. Second thing, we see that, you know, Habakkuk didn't understand. He did not understand God's plan to judge the nation of Judah. And he asked questions. And that was okay. That was okay because Habakkuk approached the situation with the right attitude. He asked and then he waited for God's answer. Expecting God to answer. Understanding that the answer he receives may not be what he's looking for. But he knew it would be truth. Are there situations in our lives that we don't understand? Maybe lots of them. Is it okay to ask God these questions? Of course. Of course. Ask your questions and then wait on God's answer and trust in his plan, no matter what it is. Remember, his plan for your life, it may not come all together until the day he returns. But know this, know this, God will make all things right. He will right every wrong. And friends, he will judge every sin. You're like, oh, wait a minute. You're going to judge my sin? Is he going to judge my sin? That's not fair. Friends, nothing could be more fair than God sending his one and only son to come and pay the price for your sins. Your sins past, your sins present, your sins future. And Jesus did that. He did that when he came and he died on the cross. All you have to do is place your faith in him. And you can live. You can have life in this world. And for all eternity, the righteous live by faith. Faith in God, faith in Jesus, and faith in his plan. It's true, friends. God is fair. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you, Lord. And, and Lord, when we know who you are, when we see your nature and your attributes, we are amazed. You are the sovereign God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. And we thank you so much that you've chosen to reveal yourself to us, that you've promised, Lord, that you will answer our prayers. And Lord, we place our trust in you. No matter what happens in this world, Lord, we know that there will come a day when the entire world will be judged, will be judged, but we can stand before a perfectly holy God and say, Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.